Has that ever happened to you? I don't mean playing hockey. I just mean you're going through life, you're playing your game, you're, you're doing what you do, so to speak, and then out of nowhere, bam! You just get hip-checked. You collide with someone or some issue or something, and man, that's exactly what it feels like. I told Andy, I said, just find me stuff where people are getting hit, because <laughs> that's it, you know? That's, maybe this happened to you this past week, somehow, because really it's, it's kind of the nature of the world that we live in. The, first off, the world is full of people. People don't always get along, and when they don't always get along, and when people handle their differences of opinions... Uh, in a less than average way, well, then there's groundwork for a collision. And, and the crazy thing is, we will collide over the dumbest things. I've been to football games where the fans got in a fight over whether the ref made a good call or not. They both lost because they were, they were escorted out of the stadium over something that had no bearing in their life. Two men, grown men, one of them saying, hey, great call, ref. The other one, that was crazy. It was the worst call ever. I also remember back in Florida years ago, and, and, and it seemed like it was just a phenomenon in Florida, but it seemed like almost every week at a youth sporting event, parents were just losing their minds for a moment. Uh, they, you talk about a collision. I mean, I read there was a story about a parent at a t-ball game yelling at the ref at a t-ball game and getting escorted away from the t-ball game. And, and it was like Little League baseball games, kids' soccer games. Almost every week you would see something on the news where a parent or an adult was escorted away, sometimes even arrested, just from something stupid like that, just a, a collision, just a, that moment where you just, you're not paying attention and you lose your mind and you forget where you're at, and then bam, there it is. But you know if you backtrack, almost any collision, if you backtrack it far enough, you can get to a point where it could have been averted all along. I guess that's why they call them accidents. Anybody ever been in an accident? Yeah. I had a friend of mine, anytime he sees, he, we, one time we came up on an accident where somebody had pulled out and, and we just saw it happen. They hit him and he said, I guess he's not in that big of a hurry now, is he? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're driving along, you're paying attention, you're doing everything right. Ten and two, seatbelt. You know, radio's not too loud, not even talking on your cell phone. And all of a sudden, that one person looks down at a text message and they're no longer paying attention to the road and what's going on. And they run the red light. Bam. Collision. But then there's a planned collision. None of us would ever take place in one of those or or be a part of a planned collision because even though that's what we're really good at, (laughs) the planned collision course happens when we decide things. We decide these things well in advance, too. We decide things like, I don't deserve to be talked like that. Nobody can talk to me like that or ignored like that. I've got to do something about that. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. That's a planned collision. They left me out. Who do they think they are? They just took my seat. Look at everything I do at work, and they show up and get all the credit because we're on the same team. Can't believe they're changing that at the church. Did you see the color of the carpet they chose? Gasp. All right, I might have gone to meddling a little bit. I'm just kidding with that one. Or, or maybe this is you. you. You do something, you've worked really hard on it, and then people show up and they start changing it at work. Maybe it's a project or something. And all these things, they're, they're just a groundwork for collision. Well, the reality is this. In our day-to-day life, collisions happen. We get just a little bit out of focus. Bam! There it is. Even in churches, even with Christians, 
we collide. And sometimes when we collide in just a bad way. It's just as ugly as a hockey check or, or a slam to the glass or a 53-car wreck on an icy road. <laughs> I don't know, too soon maybe on that one. Um, <laughs> nobody got hurt in that wreck, but it was just cars everywhere. We collide, but it doesn't have to be that way. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come here this morning and we worship and we, we give and we open up our hearts to your word. And so I pray as we do this that, that your word will, will speak boldly to us today. I pray that as, as we go through this time that we'll be able to leave knowing how to avoid collision and how to represent you better. In your son's name we pray, amen. My first paid ministry was at a church in Daytona. It's called Daytona Christian Church. Uh, it, was, it was a church that at one time flourished. They started several other churches in the, the, the beachside area, if you will, in that community around Daytona. But the other day on Facebook, I know, the world's true news place, somebody posted something. And it wasn't about Daytona uh, or Daytona Christian Church so much as it was about one of the sister churches and then all the other churches that were jumping in on it. And I thought, you know, I was going through studying and I was looking for, I just want a really good example of when Christians collide and here it is. And it's sad. Um, I, I don't know what the whole story is because you never find that out on Facebook. Uh, but, but they're on a collision course. And, and there are many layers to what I'm about to read to you. Uh, so I would like to start off right off the bat by saying that in my most humble opinion, Christians use most social media poorly. Okay. Uh, especially when we choose to have a multidimensional discussion on a one-dimensional platform like Facebook or Twitter. Um, it doesn't go well. We post our opinion, we don't give all the facts, and then we block anyone who isn't on our side so they can't respond back. <laughs> you know? uh, and for the record, places like Facebook are usually part of the starting point for many collisions, uh, both in and out of churches. I do want to encourage you, if you have something that happens or a collision with somebody else, the Bible tells us how to deal with these things. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, and actually, I'm going to be talking about it all month long. But as, as I go through this Facebook story, I'm going to interject some of my wisdom along the way, if you don't mind. Listen to this. This is what she says. As a preacher's kid, you see a lot of things growing up in the way of church politics. Well, this statement tells me right here that the adults in her life didn't have a good filter on when to discuss issues and when not to discuss issues. Uh, parents, if you're discussing adult issues with your children or in front of your children, you're not doing them any favors. Uh, using a filter can help to avoid collisions in the future, so keep that in mind. She continues, grown men behaving badly and power plays for the church that would literally make your stomach turn. I've always looked past it because the church was part of my DNA, and sometimes you have to look past the garbage to find the true beauty. But almost three years ago, the church showed me the garbage can again when I longed for a safe place to land. Now, I understand what she's saying here. Sometimes we don't make it easy in a church for people to repent and start over. And I want you to understand, I believe everything is forgivable. But I also believe that as Christians... When we're not abiding in Christ, we'll, we tend to make poor choices. And those poor choices lay groundwork for a collision course. And even when we repent, there are still consequences of those actions. There are still a ripple effect of things that happen from those actions because of our poor judgment. And too often, we see accountability and discipline as judgment on what we've done. And it's not what it is. 
I know this person. She made poor choices and the ripple effect and the consequences of what she did and her actions followed her choices and it left a lot of hurting people in the wake. All this is forgivable. Her, her sin is not the issue here. But my point is, when we get self-consumed instead of Christ-consumed, we do dumb things. And when we do dumb things, we hurt people. And when we hurt people, we have collisions. And when we collide, sometimes it's hard to find a soft place to land when you aren't willing to take ownership of what you did in the first place. This time, she says, I couldn't look away. It was personal. I'm no longer a part of any church, though I've wanted very badly to find one that fit my family's dynamic and would help love us back to life. But once you've lost trust in something, it's so very hard to gain it back. I can honestly say after witnessing what is going on in our local churches right now, I'm so thankful to not be a part of that. I have to interject here. She just made herself a part of what's going on by posting this. I found that to be ironic. Um, She goes on. What's happening amongst these sister churches is power plays, petitions, lawyers, people getting government involved in church matters, local pastors taking up sides. She says it's especially hard when it involves the church that your family built along with a handful of others to be a beacon of light and grace to a hurting world. Now, there's a couple things I want to make clear. One, and you've heard me say this a few times, what happens after the first 10 years that a church is in a community? Say it. It begins to lose its effectiveness. You get comfortable. That's one thing I want to continually remind us about this year. We've got to do things better than this. The other thing is this, brothers and sisters, I want to make this painfully clear. We don't own the church, people. It is not ours. I don't care if you did build it with your bare hands and cut the boards out of trees you cut down yourself. (laughs) Great work. Well done. You can do something I can't. You could cut a straight line. But it's not ours. We must never forget the church belongs to Christ. The church is his bride. It's not the building. It's not the place. Listen, my job very simply, is to preach the word, die and be forgotten. That's it. It's true. I don't matter. You don't matter. That's not what I wanted to hear when I came to church this morning. (laughs) You matter to Jesus, okay? And you matter to me. But in the grand scheme of things, when we are gone, we don't matter. Because what matters is that we make Jesus Christ the lasting impression on everyone that we come in contact with. That's what matters. If that means we're forgotten when we die, I'm okay with that. The church is filled with people. People are full of mistakes, and that's why we collide so often. We forget that we may be in charge at our office, or or we may be the president of the PTO, or we may be the manager of the store we work in, or the chief of police in our town. But as the church, we need to remember that we aren't in charge. We are here. We are to serve, not be served. We are to follow Christ's example of humility and love, not pride and arrogance, and then forget our first love. And that's what's happened with these churches in Daytona. And she continues to write. She says, guys, you are the exact opposite of that now. And an excellent reminder of why I'm hesitant to submit myself to a pastor or a body of leaders. There's a hurting world out there that is looking in and thinks you're a joke. They need, this, they need you to be Christ to them, not crucify each other. My interjection on this is simple. The problem is that with men and women, we aren't perfect. And and when not perfect tries to be a reflection of what is perfect, there's always a little bit of a blemish. It's true. But that doesn't excuse us. That doesn't allow us to, to not strive for perfection. I know I make mistakes. I know you do too. 
But it seems the only time we really want grace and forgiveness and healing is when it's extended to us. I don't want to have to give it to you. She closes her Facebook rant with this scripture, Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. I thought, wow, that was probably the smartest thing. She could have just said that and, and left it all alone. Dear churches, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I thought, you know, that's in the Bible for a reason. If we're consuming one another in conflict, whether big or small, we are not doing what we're here to do. We are not serving. We are not finding people to share Jesus with them. And our reflection of Christ that should be shining on the world becomes even more blemished when we're biting at each other. So what do we do when we're on a collision course? I think we can learn the answer to that question from a story in the Bible about two sisters. Some of you know this story well. It's Mary and Martha. Now, just so you know, I'm not going into that whole Martha was a worker. We need more Marthas working in the church and less Mary sitting around talking. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm here to do. But I do want to settle in on what we should do when Christians collide. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. And uh, verse 38 says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to the Lord or to his word. But Martha was distracted with her, with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're so worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so Jesus is in the house. I've always wanted to say that. Jesus is in the house. Little culture thing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is in the house, and Martha is getting things ready. She, she, and Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and, and learning and talking. Martha, she's multitasking. She's listening, and she, she's making sure the bread doesn't burn, and, and she's checking on the meals. She's setting the table. I, I picture this kind of like Thanksgiving when I was little. My granny and my aunts and my mom would, would be busy doing things in the kitchen and the dining room, and we would all be out busy watching the parade and with my grandpa and my dad and, and uncles and stuff. And, you know, my grandfather, he would always, he would do or say something funny because that's what he did. Uh, and then we'd all laugh, and they would all run out and go, hey, what's so funny? What happened? What did we miss? I picture this scene kind of similar. Martha's working, and, and Jesus maybe says something profound, and Mary and the others go, ooh, and ah, and Martha's, Wait, wait, what, what'd he say? What just happened? Just far enough out of earshot, she didn't get what was going on. We're, we've all been there. You've been there at work. Maybe even in your own home where you're doing these things. What'd I miss? And it, it becomes frustrating. You think you've missed out on something really good, and it, it, it's groundwork for a collision course. Here it comes. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Before we get to the collision part, I think sometimes we can gather information from what Scripture doesn't say about something. So if you'll indulge me for just a minute, I want to talk about what Martha didn't do. Okay? 
What Martha didn't do is, is she didn't come into the room and start yelling at Mary, okay? And I don't know, maybe they had a conversation, maybe they had a plan, but she didn't, she didn't come in and, and, and start yelling at her sister. And she didn't come into the room of guests and, and say to Mary, hey, you know what, that lamb isn't going to cook itself, little lady. You get up here, these herbs aren't just going to jump on it. Get them rubbed in, get it in, the, get it in the fire, get in the oven. She didn't say that. She, she wasn't, you know, that table's not going to set itself. You're lazy, get up. I don't think Martha was like that because the thing about a collision is what I said earlier about the driver. What caused the wreck? Distraction. What causes the collision most of the times in our lives? It's distraction. Not paying attention. Scripture says in verse 40, Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. Martha was distracted. This leads me to believe that mild-mannered, humble, serving Martha was doing what she would normally do when average guests are in the house. But today she got distracted with all this stuff. Now, does does that mean that all of Mary's chores were done, so to speak? So her work was done. She could sit at Jesus' feet because she was just a faster worker. I don't know. But Mary's sitting with the guest and Martha becomes distracted with her duties. And what happens there, like I said, when we're distracted, here comes the collision. But Martha, another thing she doesn't do, she doesn't start gossiping. She doesn't pull some of the ladies that are in the house aside and go, hey, I've been working so hard today, making all this stuff, and look at Mary just sitting there. She doesn't do that. That's, that's another thing she doesn't do. She went right to the teacher. She went right to the authority in the house, and she said, Jesus. She wasn't trying to trick him either. She wasn't loading him up with a, with a question like the Pharisees would. She didn't do that. She had a legitimate question about her issue. I really think she was sincere here. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I guess Mary didn't do all her chores because Martha just said she left her all alone. Martha says, Lord, she won't listen to me. Maybe she'll listen to you. You tell her, come help me so, so we can get this done and I can sit and visit too. But Jesus' response, obviously it wasn't what Martha was looking for. But he answered and he said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. Now, his response was also not putting her down because of her question. But he shares with her where she is in that moment. And I think he kind of clears the cobwebs from her eyes a little bit. Real quick, show of hands. Who came to church with like a million things on your mind today? And I don't just mean who's going to win the Super Bowl or the chili cook-off, but who really came in? I mean, if we're honest, most of us did. Some of you have come here today like Martha. You came here distracted already. Some of us, maybe you're even overwhelmed with what's going on in your life. If that's the case... If you're distracted, if you're overwhelmed, if there's something else going on in your life, I want to say these words to you. This is what Jesus said to Martha. In that moment, this is what he said, and I want want these words to kind of be your focus. Martha, you're distracted. You're distracted from me. You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Collision diverted. Martha was coming in, wanting backup, wanting help. And Jesus, 
He turned it all around. Many times we like to spin this story so Jesus is rebuking Martha for being busy and praises Mary for for studying at his feet and sitting at his feet, but it's more than that. Because the man who says to the Samaritan woman, drink the water I am and you will never thirst again. The man who says, go and send no more to a woman caught in the act of adultery. The same man that says to his disciples, you feed these people. The man who says to the wind and the rain, stop, be still, says to Martha, And he says to you right here, right now, you're distracted with life. You're worried and and you're bothered by many things. And and when you get distracted, you start to collide with each other. But I am here now, he says to Martha. And for the moment in my presence, those things, they don't matter. What matters is me, not me, but Jesus. And I'm here in your house, Martha. Stop. Stop. Be still and listen with your heart. Mary's chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her. Can't you just see Martha just maybe kind of slowly sitting or or kneeling at Jesus' feet as he's saying these things to her? I, I wish that scripture said something like, Martha, I'll take care of it. It'll all be prepared when we're finished here. Because he had the ability. I don't know, maybe I have an overactive imagination, but I see this scene right up there with, with Jesus and Peter on the, on the shore after Peter's denial and Jesus' resurrection and Jesus is on the beach and, and Peter comes running up to him and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. He says it three times. He asks this question and it dawns on Peter as he's saying for the third time, I love you. Feed my sheep. I kind of see that same thing happening with Martha. What about you? Are you Martha? Are you so distracted with life? Are you worried and bothered by so many things that that distraction lays groundwork for a collision course with the people who care about you the most? I'll be honest with you. This past week, I was distracted with life. Someone asked me on Friday morning, John, how are you doing? My response was, this has been a pastoral week. <laughs> it was busy. It wasn't bad. There was no, you know, crazy things going on. But it was just a busy week with people. But it was good. And it dawned on me that this week I was being kind of like Martha. Going all these different little directions. And it also dawned on me that Friday morning that I needed to finish my message for today. <laughs> I didn't wait till this morning, in case you're wondering. But it just was one of those things. I was like Martha. And then here I was preparing a message about Martha and about her busyness and, and her distractedness. I was doing good stuff. I was praying with people and, you know, being spiritual and offering guidance and, and leadership and all these, you know, mentoring Andy, you know. <laughs> I was doing all these things. But what I didn't do, there were a couple of days this week where I didn't choose the good part. I didn't choose the part that cannot be taken away from me. I didn't choose to sit with Jesus in my house every day this week like I usually do. But I chose to allow the distraction and the worry instead. What about you? Where where are you in this life? Are you headed on a collision course with someone because of your distractions? Or or, or something around that? I mean, are, are you choosing the part that cannot be taken away from you? 
Are you just allowing yourself to be rolled over by life? Sometimes we sabotage ourselves with these self-fulfilling prophecies of distraction. We say things like when it comes to studying God's word or, or praying, I'll do it tomorrow. God knows I love him. We're good. He's there for me. But we're not always there for him. You see, what we, what we really need to do in order to avoid the collision is to simply sit with Jesus for a moment. That's what I like about Mary. Be in his word. Abide in his love. After all, it was his love is what drives us to, to live beyond an ordinary life. Because he came and he gave his life for our sins. His death on the cross was more than just taking on our sin. His death on the cross was a separation. Because by taking on our sin, he separated himself from God the Father, from his Father. And his Father isn't like our fathers. His Father is awesome. But Christ loved us enough, knowing that in our own distractions, we would collide with each other and that we would get messy. And he took our mess and he took our sin on himself and he allowed it to separate him from God the Father. But it didn't end there. He took this collision that's our life. And he may have died on the cross, but he rose from the grave and he defeated death. He defeated sin and he made a way for us through our collisions to not just live, but to thrive. Today, as we come to our response time, I want you to think on those things. This is a good time to reflect on your week, to reflect on your life. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Examine yourself during this time of response. As you examine yourself against Christ, then have communion with our Lord, remembering what he did for you and me. If during this time, your response is that, that you've come to the realization you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior in baptism, come. Maybe you need prayer for strength to get past the distractions in life. The elders are here. We'll pray with you publicly or privately. If your response today is to, to partner with us by joining Huntsville Christian Church to serve here and impact our community with us, please do. As we begin this time of response, just remember what Christ has done. He's made a way for us to work through the collision, to be a reflection of him and to actually impact the people around us. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we come to time in our service and in hearing your word, we're just going to reflect on what you've done. I pray that as we examine ourselves against your word and as we, we examine ourselves against the example of your son, it'll be very clear where we've become distracted through the world, where we've allowed collision to happen in our lives. And I pray that today, it's not just a time of communion, but individually we'll have a time of, of repentance, of asking you forgiveness, starting fresh. I thank you for your son, Lord. I thank you that he loved us enough that he'd be willing to become separated from you so that we wouldn't have to. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.